0: Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Sister Julie, who knew? <laughs> that was really awesome. We're having an exceptional service in here today. Amen. The power of the presence of the Lord is very, very real. Amen. I feel it. He can do anything. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, you can get it today. If you haven't made that decision to give your life to Jesus, today's a great day to start it. To begin that life journey that will forever take you through eternity with Him. I'm reading from the Gospel of Matthew this morning, Matthew chapter 27, beginning at verse 15. And I want to read verses 15 through 17 and verses 20 through 22. Now at that feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom he would, and, when they had, and they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will you that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? Verse 20, But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whither of the twain will you that I release unto you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come together, God, today, believing you for the word of the Lord and that you will speak to hearts and souls today. Help us to come to a greater understanding and knowledge. Of you, the name of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the power of God in this world, in Jesus' name. Amen. Greet some folks as you're being seated. Welcome someone to the house of God today. I have today chosen from my subjects a very strange topic, the other Jesus, and it is based on an even stranger and uh, hidden mystery or revelation from the scripture that I happened to stumble upon in my reading this morning. I made a most interesting discovery while reading this text in the contemporary English version, which I am reading through this year in the bread program. And where in my text of scripture I have mentioned Barabbas' name, he is mentioned here in verses 16 and in 17. In the contemporary English version, it says Jesus Barabbas. Jesus Barabbas. Jesus Barabbas? Really? Really? I went and did some further research in the New Living Translation, and a footnote on the scripture says, of verses 16 and 17, that some manuscripts read Jesus' Barabbas. I did not know. So therefore, when Pilate asked the Jews in verses 20 through 22, Whither of the twain shall I release unto you? He clearly had a play on names intended. And to him, it was a peculiarity, a conundrum, and the already confusing problem uh, to his Roman mind of interpreting and understanding Jewish law and litigation. Why was this man, Jesus of Nazareth, why was he being tried when it seemed evident that he had done nothing criminal according to the Roman mind and the Roman law? Why not Jesus Barabbas, who, who should be condemned, who should be executed who had done something wrong he was a thief he was a murderer he was an insurrectionist a thoroughly bad guy from the wrong side of tracks why not jesus barabbas why jesus of nazareth jesus barabbas or jesus the so-called messiah was what he was saying under them Whither of the twain shall i release unto you jesus barabbas or jesus the so-called messiah Had he been dealing with a Jewish Messiah, he should have thought that the people would have had no problem, or he should have rather thought that the people would have had a problem with him killing their Jewish Messiah. Anyone who hadn't done anything terribly wrong and was claiming to be a Jewish Messiah, surely the Jews would want to keep him alive. Didn't they want a Messiah? Wasn't that their goal, their effort, their striving for? Why would they want to take this man who... Who we can't find that he has done, broken any laws, hurt anybody, done any wrong to anybody. Why would they want to take this man who claims to be a Jewish Messiah for which they claim they are looking? Why would they take him and do away with him and kill him? Why Jesus, the so-called Messiah, not Jesus Barabbas? To Pilate, no harm, no foul here. This is a PR win, one he desperately needs. He, if he released this Jesus, the so-called Messiah, well... No harm. He could keep an eye on him. If he caused trouble, if he got out of hand, if he stirred things up, if he did something wrong, his watchers would know it, would report back to him, and he could deal with him later. He could deal with him then. Why take the life of this man now? Why not this criminal, this other Jesus over here? Why not this other Jesus, Barabbas? Another way that we know that this was, no doubt, part of the original text, and and, and it's well-fitted into this play on names, is to examine Barabbas' name. Barabbas, Jesus Barabbas, means Jesus, son of a father, or Jesus, a father's son. That's what Barabbas means, a father's son. What kind of a name is that? A father, whoa, 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 who? What father? Who, who's his father? Now here's where it gets really interesting, because, as you know, Jesus Christ had no public record existing of his birth father. So the Jews were accusing him of being illegitimate, and in their thinking, in their mind, no true Messiah could be born on the wrong side of the sheets. He would need to be born in wedlock, so he could come from holy matrimony. He, need, he would need to be to be a Messiah. He would need to be holy. Everything should be proper. It should be above board. It should be beyond dispute. There should not be any money business in his. DNA. Shame. They shouldn't think that. So this Jesus Barabbas then also must have been illegitimate. Jesus, son of a father. That was not a proper name. A father's name should have been given. Here is not given. Son of a man. Well, maybe that's better than son of a gun, but you know, it's not the name. That he was meant to have. He was about a bit more of a son of a gun than he was a son of a man. But you see what I'm saying? He was a bad dude. His father was, in today's colloquialism, somebody's baby daddy. So, you know, he was a son of a baby daddy. He didn't know who his father was, but I'm the son of a man. But... It's interesting that his real name, his first name, was Jesus. No wonder Pilate phrases these statements the way he does and if I read it again in the uh, if I read it again as the other manuscripts would have it, it would say and they brought him a notable prisoner called Jesus Barabbas. Therefore when they were gathered together Pilate said to them, whom will you that I release unto you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus that is called the Christ? You see how that's a play on, the, on words? And to him, it was a moment. To Pilate, it was a moment. Here, I got two Jesuses. Which one do you want me to give you? I'll give you any one you want. But in my mind, you ought to take this one over here because I can't really see anything wrong with him. This guy over here, he's bad all the way. And so, no doubt, the early manuscripts have left out this amazing coincidence. Later, probably edited out or simply dropped to avoid confusion. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Jesus, Barabbas, and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, Whither the twain will I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said unto them, What shall I do then with this Jesus, who, which is called the Christ? Let him be crucified. Jesus' crucifixion his conviction, his crucifixion, all of this that happened to him was directly related to and connected with his claim to be connected to deity. He is saying to people all along that he he is connected to deity. In fact, it would be upon this uh, that he would uh, uh, be convicted in in chapter 26, verses 63 and 64. Jesus held his peace. The high priest answered and said to him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said unto him, Thou hast said. In other words, what Jesus is saying, you have spoken the truth. What you have said is true. I am what you say right now. He was putting the high priest's words back into his own mouth and making him acknowledge or confess a truth that Jesus had not really hot hidden from his close followers. Jesus said, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, and he goes further. Nevertheless, I say to you, Hereafter, you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And so the high priest tore his clothes at that moment and said, we don't need any further witnesses. This, this trial is over. He's convicted himself. Out of his own mouth, he has condemned himself. So, listen not know what he said. He's claiming to be connected to deity. And that word here where Jesus said coming on the right hand of power is from the Greek word exousia, Exousios, which means authority. That he is coming on Uh, I'm sorry, it means, uh, not authority, but dunamos, dunomios, which means the ability, the physical ability. He's he's coming on the right hand of the physical ability of God. He has the physical ability of God. And uh, when we see power, there are two different Greek words that it can come from. Exousios, which means authority, and dunamos, which means ability touched on that last week when you get to Deutero- uh, when you get to Matthew 28:18 Jesus came and spake unto them saying all power is given unto me in heaven and earth that power is the Greek word exousios, which means authority so he has all authority he not only has all ability of God but he has all of the authority of God there is a direct claim of Jesus to deity here. And this was a claim that is repeatedly made by Christ and one and this claim is one on which the whole truth or error of Christianity hangs. Everything about our faith depends on whether or not these claims are true. If they are true, it is an amazing thing. If they're not, then we believe in vain. The Christian faith is based on the most astonishing claims, the most daring, bold, astonishing claims the world over. It claims that Jesus is God, manifest in the flesh. Our faith claims, the Bible claims, that Jesus resurrected from the dead. The Bible claims that Jesus will return in the clouds for his own. It claims that Jesus will personally return and rule the earth from David's throne for a thousand years. And at the end of which, it claims that he personally will judge every human that's ever lived upon the face of this earth. So, if these claims are true, they're either true or they're false. If they're false, then all of Christianity fails the most basic requirement to become a creditable world religion. If it is true then there are no other religious alternatives anywhere. If it is true, then it must rule out all other choices. And there is a truth within a truth, within the realm of Christian thinking. Think of a Russian uh, mazurka doll. You know, you open one and there's another one. You open that one and there's another one. You just keep opening them up and they keep coming out, you know, smaller and smaller and smaller. Can we ever get to the bottom of this pile of things? What we thought was true, you know, by looking at it on the outside, apparently there's another truth embedded in that. And when we open up that, apparently there's another truth embedded in that. And we open up that, there's another truth embedded in that. And so the scripture says, uh, line upon line, Isaiah 28, line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. For with stammering lips and another tongue will I speak to this people. And this is the refreshing. This is the rest and this is the refreshing. Yet they would not hear that they may go and turn around and be turned to darkness and be deceived. Hallelujah. Amen. There's a truth within a truth within a truth within a truth. And you've got to be digging all the time to find out all the truth. You can't just stop at one and say, I've got it all. There's more and there's more and there's more. Amen. We apostolic Pentecostals are at the long line of the chain that has gone back further and further and further. Looked deeper, examine further, opened up more scripture, opened up more understanding, had the revelation of the Holy Spirit revealed to us the divine truth of the Word of God. And ultimately, what comes out of all the scriptures that relate to the Godhead. Any scripture where you can think of as God as uh, uh, of God as Father, any scripture where you can think of Jesus as the son of god any scripture where the holy spirit is ever mentioned any scripture that talks about the seven spirits of god any scripture that talks about the eyes of the lord running to and fro any scripture where the rock followed the, the hebrews in the wilderness it was god anything that you can think of in the bible hallelujah there is a truth within a truth within a truth and ultimately the one truth comes back to the essential reality of everything. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Before anything else was, God was. And who was that God? He was the Word. He was His own Word. What did His Word do? Become flesh and dwell among us. Who was that Word? Jesus, God, manifested in the flesh, revealed to us. Hallelujah! That's who that word is. And that was in the beginning with God. And that was God. Now that body that Jesus wore came at a point of time and literally was the first begotten of God. It's a very unusual scripture there. In Hebrews it talks about Jesus being the first begotten. He wasn't the first made, but he was the first begotten. Uh, God made, manufactured Adam and Eve, and and they did the rest, and you and I are helping them out. When we have families and children, we're helping them out. But Jesus Christ was begotten of God. That's an amazing thing that Jesus is called both the Son of God, and He refers to Himself over and over again as the Son of Man. Have you ever considered why? it was amazing to god to find himself in this position unusual so much so that it bore remarkable jesus was amazed to find and discover the godhead in the body of a man the son of man i have been born like men I have been born into the world of manhood. Therefore, Jesus would remark with amazement, "I am the Son of Man. I have become one of my own creatures, one of my own men." Let's get down here. Please. discredit Christianity uh, uh, outright. He doesn't need to do it outright. All he needs to do is just tweak it a little bit. Just, Just tweak it. A little false understanding of who Jesus is is enough for him to ruin the reality of the claims of Christianity for people. Thank you. Now here's an amazing thing. Jesus said there would be followers of his who would come knocking at the door after the bridegroom had entered with his chosen bride and they would say to him, Sir, sir, open up to us. And the the groom would open the door and say, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. You're not my wife. You're not my spouse. You're not my chosen one." Yet they claimed... To follow him. They claimed to be waiting for him. They claimed to be believers. They were mixed in with those that were legitimate believers. It really got taken away. But what didn't they have that the others had? They didn't have the Holy Ghost. They didn't have oil in their lamps. They didn't have the anointing. They had a form of godliness, but they denied the power thereof. Everything that has the name of Christian above the door doesn't have that little doll on the inside of all those other dolls. That ultimate core of revealed truth that you've got to get to the bottom of to really understand what you're talking about. Why is it important, John 4, 23 24? God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit And in truth, there's a lot of people that want the Spirit. They got Pentecost from classical Pentecostals. We want the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues, but we don't want anything else. That'll be enough. We'll take that. Thank you. So they get over there and they teach people how to talk in tongues multiplying error upon error hallelujah and there is no anointing in their preaching in their pulpit no fire in their pew no passion in their worship and praise everything is my book it's all by control hallelujah but there is one here today amen that wants us to worship him not only in spirit but in truth he's looking for that Christ himself said this would happen. In Matthew 24 and 5 he said, For many shall come in my name, saying that I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Paul warned us about this and about religious trends in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Paul is writing to the church in Galatia and reproving them because they have soon fallen away into something else, into error. And he says in Galatians 1, 6 and 8, I marvel you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that would trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than we have preached. Let him be accursed. So there is going to be a deception. Jesus said it would happen. Paul warns us that it would happen. Jesus again in Matthew 24 and 24 warned us, uh, for there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders inasmuch if it, as it were possible they should deceive the very elect. He told us that it was going to happen. It's always a dangerous thing to pursue signs and wonders. You want them, you want to see them, you want to believe in them, and they will happen. And there will be signs and wonders happening. Images will bleed at the hands and uh, blood will drop from the eyes of crucifixes of Christ and other strange anomalies and mysterious things can happen and people can claim healing because they bathed in certain spring waters that were considered to be holy and blessed by some saint of the past. Things will happen that will lend credibility to false Christ teachings and false prophets' preachings. Things will happen. They are not the true evidence of the real divine anointing of God. Even if you did not see any Christianity of any kind around, Satan would still have his religions, his practitioners of occult black arts and magic, who can also make little snakes out of rods and do strange and mysterious and magical things. There is power available uh, in the supernatural. It isn't just superstitious thinking, but it is supernatural power. And practitioners of dark arts can exercise it to some degree or another. Why not also false religions have signs and wonders? We are not to be amazed at signs and wonders. The people that followed Jesus wanted him to continuously do signs and wonders. Signs and wonders. He rejected their, their request one day and said the only sign that's going to be given to you is the sign of the prophet Jonah. The sign of the prophet Jonah. What sign is that? It's a sign of judgment. It is a sign of judgment. Amen. I don't know what happened to Jonah. I know he's supposedly buried in Mosul, Iraq. Uh, perhaps from the return of his journey to Nineveh, which was in Iraq. He got murdered. He got killed by people. I don't know what happened, but he's there somewhere. Uh, He's there. His tomb is there. But we know that God put him in the belly of a well because he did not do what God told him to do. Uh, And then when he left to do what God told him to do, he still didn't have God's purpose and meaning and mission. In mind, and when God saved the people after all that Jonah suffered and went through, when God saved them and did not destroy them, as Jonah hoped and expected he would, Jonah got mad at God, got mad at God. He sat there wait, waiting for the judgment to fall it didn 't fall He was waiting in the heat of the desert, and it didn 't fall. He found a, a vine, a gourding vine that grew, and he got up under the shade of that vine waiting for God to rain down judgment upon Nineveh, and it didn't happen, and as he sat there and waited, God sent a little worm and ate that, killed that vine, and it dried up on him, and and Jonah was so mad, he was so angry that he, you know, he was just beside himself, hallelujah, you're not going to get any sign but the sign of the prophet Jonah. Amen, which is a sign that God wields Jesus said, I have all exousia. I have all the authority in heaven. What was he talking about? The power to judge. I wield the power to judge and I have the ability to dispense grace and mercy. The judgment call is mine and the grace and mercy call is mine. And right now, the sign of the prophet Jonah is, I'm going to forego destroying this generation. I'm going to hold back. I'm going to wait. I'm going to give you another chance. I'm going to allow people to be saved. But the day is coming. You know, a lot of Christians think that Jesus is just all grace and mercy and love, and they can do anything they want, and He'll forgive and forgive, and He will and He will. But we should never forget that that same Jesus that dispenses grace and mercy to us because we're on this side of the cross, on that side of the cross, that's it. It's over. It's done. There is no more chance. It's over. So today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. You don't have next Sunday. You don't have Wednesday night. You don't have tomorrow. You don't even have 10 minutes after you get out of this building. You never know what's going to happen to you. But you can get right with God right now. Right now. First Corinthians 15 and 15 describes false witnesses. Second Corinthians 11 and 13 talks about false apostles. And Galatians 2 and 4 mentions false brethren. So how can we be sure? How can we know what is true and what is not? There is a surefired test to the claims of Christ. But let's examine the claims of Christ here. In John 8, John 8:57 8, through 58. In, in that scripture, Jesus is being accused by, by his accusers, by the Jews, of being illegitimate. They are saying to him, we know who our father is, but we don't know where you came from. Jesus, in answering them and defending his legitimacy, said to them, before Abraham was. We know who our father is. We know our father goes all the way back to Abraham. We don't know who your father is. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And they took up stones to stone him then and there because his claim directly connected him to deity. He was claiming to be the I am. Another interesting conversation is in John 8:39 through 42 where uh, it said, They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me. If a man hath told you the truth, if a man hath told you the truth which I have heard of God, this did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. They said unto him, We are not born of fornication; we have one Father, even God. So well, here again, they are accusing him of illegitimacy. Jesus said unto them, If God were your Father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God; neither came I of myself. But he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? You cannot even hear my word. So Jesus is letting them know that he comes directly from God. He proceeds forth and comes from God. In John 10 and 30, Jesus makes a direct claim. He said, I and my Father are one. He is talking about... Uh, uh, doing the works in my Father's name, Jesus answered them. I told you, you believe not. The works I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. And then He goes on to say, I and my Father are one. In John twelve twenty one through twenty three, Jesus, uh, uh, here here comes some some Gentiles. The same came before Philip, which was a Bethsaida of Galilee, desired, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, Andrew, tell, and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. There it is, that Son of Man thing, uh, where, he, where he talks about that amazing thing that he's discovered, that I am here, God in the flesh, born in the world of man, the Son of Man. Here are people coming looking for Jesus. They are looking for Him. They are seeking for Him. People today are seeking for the Lord. But what do they find when they look at God? And when they look at the Godhead, do they find that there is a person called God the Father uh, and next to him on another throne uh, is another person called God the Son. And then over there beside the two of them is another person called God the Holy Spirit. If they look at the Godhead and see that, are they seeing the true God of the Bible? Or are they seeing some, some fable, something that has been manufactured and made up by mankind to try to explain God? This is the great confusion. It's like the blinds have to be pulled back. And uh, we have to now look backwards through the veils of these blinds to find that truth within the truth, that greater truth buried deep down in the Scripture behind all the fables of philosophies of man to discover the real truth of who Jesus is. Verse 28, Father, glorify thy name. There came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. That name that was to be glorified, that Jesus is saying, glorify thy name. Jesus is claiming the name is the name of the Father. And God is saying, I have and will glorify that name. In verses 44 through 46, Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. He that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. I am glorified. Come a light into the world, and whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. He that seeth me seeth him that sent me. He that believeth on me doesn't believe on me, but believes on him that sent me. So Jesus is directly claiming to be God. And he says, I am the light. Now in John 1. One in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So this thing that is God, and He is His own Word, that makes everything, is the light, Jesus said Uh, uh, that I am come a light into the world, and whoever believes on me will not abide in darkness. Reading on in John 1, 9 through 14, that is the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came to his own, his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. What is the name we're talking about here? It's the name of Jesus. What is the name, Acts 4 and 12, that we get salvation? Neither is there salvation in the other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If you think Father is a name then go right ahead and call it all you want. If you think Son was His name, go ahead and say it all you want. If you think just calling God what He is, a Holy Spirit, is a name, then go ahead and say it all you want. But Jesus said, I have glorified Thy name. Hallelujah. And the Father answered back and said, I will glorify that name. I have and I will. That is the name that we are saved by and no other. Hallelujah. Is there another Jesus? Yes. There's a lot of other Jesuses. Amen. But is there one Jesus? And he's the right Jesus. And the only Jesus by which we can be saved. Yes. Hallelujah. And it's important for us to sort it out and to sift it out. That we may know the truth about who the right Jesus is. What he is. That was the true light which lighteth every man that come to the world. He was in the world. The world was made by him, the world knew him not. He came to his own, his own received him not. But as many as as received him to them, gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Whom are we speaking of? Who are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus Christ, who is the Word of God. And the Word is God. Hallelujah. That's who we're talking about. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And uh, <clears throat> John 14, 6-11. Jesus again makes a direct claim. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. If you had known me, you had known my Father also. From henceforth you know him and have seen him. The Bible says no man has seen God at any time. Yet Jesus could claim that when you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. That's very interesting. Put that in the back folder of your mind. We'll visit that again in a moment. Philip said unto him, Lord, show show us the Father, and it will satisfy us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. Jesus removed all confusion from his follower's mind by saying, look, when you see me, you see the Father. Why? Why? Could that be true? Because the Father dwelled in Him. Why would they be one? Because what the Father was dwelling in is the Son of God. It was a human body made of flesh and blood. It was born of a woman. And it grew up as a baby and as a boy and matured into manhood. And it was crucified on the cross. And the blood that it had was the, as close to blood as God could ever get. Inside of your body is you. It's your soul. It's your spirit of life. And forever your body, your soul, and your spirit are tied together. Forever they are tied together. God, who numbers the hair on your head, measures the DNA in the hair on your head. And God's carbon blueprint of your DNA is forever kept in His mind, And his eternal record in heaven. And all he needs to do is sequence the proper amino acids together again and poof, out your body comes again. It'll come out of that again. (coughs) DNA scientists can do amazing things. They can discover the DNA of fossils that have been dead for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Just give them... A little bit of tissue or or a bone of something that's been dead for thousands of years. And they can reconstruct DNA out of that. Someday they hope to make Jurassic Park a reality and not just a dream or a movie. Don't you think God can do that with us in the resurrection? But what was inside of that body constructed of this strange DNA? Half of which came from Mary. Mary and the other half had to be made by God, making Him the Son of God. What dwelled inside of that body was God Almighty was the Word which was God and it was made flesh. That's what it was. It's not a different person. It's not another person. But it is that thing, that holy thing that God can rightly call His Son and that that thing could wake up someday to the divine realization and the awareness that began to grow in Him as He grew that I am God and I have to be about my Father's business. Hallelujah. It's an amazing mystery of Scripture. But it is a truth revealed in a truth, revealed in a truth, revealed in a truth. Colossians 1, 12 through 19. A very powerful reading and understanding of the Godhead here. And it says, Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light who's delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. If I hold a mirror in front of your face, what do you see in that mirror? Do you see your mother or father? Do you see me? you see your husband or wife? Whose image is in the mirror that's before your face? It is your image. And that shows what you look like. Jesus, the Bible says, is the mirror image of God. No wonder Jesus would say to his disciples, You have seen the Father. Well, show us the Father then. Show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. When you have seen me, you have seen the Father. There's an interesting scripture in Hebrews chapter 1. And uh, it's speaking of Jesus, says in verse 3, Who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, set down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He was the express image of this majesty on high. And when he sits down on the right hand of the majesty on high, it is because he is that body is the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. That body is our high priest, according to Hebrews. It is our high priest bearing his own blood as Lamb and going with his own body as high priest before the throne of grace and mercy to be the one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. But there will come a day that even the office of the son, even the son itself, will be submitted back over to God. And he will be seen as everything of God that there is. Hallelujah. And so we see Jesus. Amen. We see him as 100% man and we see him as 100% God. He's both. He is entitled to be called both. He's entitled to feel like he's both. As a man, he hungered. He he got tired. He slept. As a man, he prayed. As a man, he grew weary. As a man, he was depressed. The Bible says when he went into the Garden of Gethsemane, he called Peter, James, and John to Aside to pray with him, he was heavy in spirit. That means he was depressed as a man. He was depressed as a man. He would say, Father, let this cup pass from me, not as the second person of the Trinity, but as a man praying, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Hallelujah. And so he had to, as a man, die on the cross and utter those last famous words. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because as a man, he was being made the sin of us all. But as God, he resurrected himself from the grave. Hallelujah. And as God... He fulfills all positions of the God that there there is. Let's read on a little further in Colossians. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by Him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. We're still speaking of Christ now. He is before all things and by Him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning The firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. So yes, we see that body and we can see it sitting on the right hand of power. Fulfilling that function of being uh, the blood sacrifice and the high priest ministering that blood sacrifice before God. To cleanse us and purge us of our sins according to to the the pattern shown Moses on the mount. Uh, It's all by the book, hallelujah, according to that pattern. But we also can see that everything that there is of God is in him. So when he comes and says in Matthew 28, 18, all exousia, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me, he has received everything that God has as God to use in judgment on this world. All authority. All authority over everything that was ever created. Thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, angels, demons, light, darkness, everything. Colossians 2, 8 and 9 says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power. So where is the Godhead? According to Scripture, all of the Godhead is in Jesus. So if there's any Father, if there's any Holy Spirit, it's all in Jesus. We have sing an singing old chorus, it's all in Him, it's all in Him. The fullness of the Godhead is all in Him. And so it's based on that truth. 1 Timothy 3.16 says it like this. I'm sorry second Timothy 3:16 No, I was right the first time. First Timothy 3:16 and without controversy great is the mystery of godliness God was manifest in the flesh God manifest in the flesh Jesus, in amazement, called himself the Son of Man because that was God speaking, amazed to find himself in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on the world, and received up into glory. We're only talking about Jesus here, but he is God. He's not part of God, he's not a God, he's all God. Everything that there is of God. 1 John 5, 7 and 20. And I'm coming to a close. First John 5, 7 says, There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. They are one. If they are one, they are one. They are not three separate persons. It doesn't say Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It says Father, Word, and Holy Ghost. And well, that makes sense to us because we know in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Not a God, not a third of God, not a part of God, but He was God, and He made everything that there is. That Word, which is God, made everything that there is. And that Word became reality in this world by becoming flesh and dwelling among us. In verse 20, it says, We know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true. And we are in Him that is true. Even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Who is the true God? Jesus Christ. That's what we're speaking of. We have an understanding. And we know Him that is true. Who is it we're talking about? The true God. Jesus Christ. There is a never fail test. <clears throat> In uh, uh, 2 John, verses 9 through 12, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. There's a teaching about Christ. It's called the doctrine of Christ. If you don't abide in this doctrine, you don't have God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. So the doctrine of Christ is that God, the Father, manifested himself in a body that he fathered. That body is called the Son. Now, if there was a trinity, why isn't the Holy Spirit mentioned here? Why is it only talking about two, if there are three that are somehow all God? And the point of it is, is that that was never what the apostles or the early Christians Thought of God, they never thought of God as three persons. They were Jewish converts who believed in the Shema of Israel, Deuteronomy uh, uh, six and four. Hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They believed that God is one, but they believed that God came in the body of Jesus Christ, which fitted. All of their prophecies concerning the Messiah. So when Pilate said, Which one, which Jesus should I release to you? Jesus somebody's son or Jesus the Messiah who was to be the Son of God. Which Jesus Somebody's son or the one that's the Messiah, the Son of God. Hallelujah. So if you abide in the doctrine of Christ, you have both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, and receive him not into your house, neither bid him God speed. For he that biddeth him God speed is a partaker of his evil deeds. That's an amazing scripture. But it is a litmus test to divine reality. Let's stand together. Hallelujah. Satan has tweaked things enough with the doctrine of the Trinity and it has been inherited and passed down from 325 A.D. down through the centuries from denomination to denomination, from church to church until it's just assumed and accepted as an orthodox belief system and to challenge it is to deny Christianity and to prove yourself in heresy. But the Bible never uses the word Trinity. It's never mentioned one time in the Bible. If it's such a Bible doctrine, you would think that it would be in there, but it isn't. The word Trinity did not even exist in human language in connection with God until about 210 A.D. when a Greek lawyer named Tertullian coined it to give expression to his ideas about the Godhead. Out of that expression... Less than a hundred years later, Origen would come along and split them up into three persons. And then about a hundred years later, it would become finally, officially, Church, Catholic Church dogma. These are facts you can study out for yourself in world history classes. You can Wikipedia these things. You can study these things out and discover them and find them out. They're extra-biblical Uh, addendums or exhibit A and exhibit B and exhibit C to the truth that the Bible is already teaching us that when we speak of Jesus we speak the name that is above all names I have yet to hear Trinitarians cast devils out in the name of God the Son I don't even hear them even try to cast them out in the name of God the Son if that was the name that they should use in baptism, why don't they just continue to use it to cast devils out and lay hands on the sick? I pray for you that you be healed in the name of God the Son. They didn't even do that. Why? Because they know that the name that's going to get her done is Jesus' name. That's the name that gets it done in baptism. That's the name, that's how we get named, the family name of heaven and earth, the name of Jesus in water baptism. Let's give God a big hand <laughs> praise today. Thank you, Lord, today blessing upon you, Lord. I thank you for truth. I thank you for truth, God. I love you and thank you for truth. I appreciate the truth. Thank you, Jesus. As we are dismissed, if there's anybody here that's listening to this and is confused and you have not had a Bible study yet, see me after church and we'll get you set up in a Bible study. We can explain this thing more clearly to you. But God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.